Act 4, Scene 1. Cinematically, rising from the reflection of the sky and the glassy stare of one who lay dead at the Battle of the Damned. To the panorama of its horrific extent of savage death. From thence to the air to wheel and to fly rapidly away into majestic clouds. Then returned to Württemberg, we make a slow descent with our cinematic eye. Scenes of anarchy contend with peaceful normalcy. Here, a peasant's farming. There, a crowd is lynching some vagrant, and so on. City life is resuming like a dawn. Faustus is at home again. Faustus did not confide what he had seen. He did not speak of it until the maiden came one morning with her milk and cream, as daily from her farm she comes trading them. Wagner usually took the purchase at the kitchen door where she stopped. Leering, alluring her, he tried persuading her. Come in, come in, my dear. Might I offer some breakfast, dear? A length of sausage? Faustus absently entered then, and found her standing in the doorway, framed by morning, and remembered her. The children who had gathered gaily playing in the meadow, and she who made for him the floral wreath, she used to crown on him. He'd kissed her, and she'd run off blushing. She knew him, too, unremembered, too. He thought she knew what he knew. 
but saw how childhood still lingering had not yet passed from her face, seeped like pools of rain into the earth, drinking life, which thirsts for moments, then faded, delineated ebbing appearances, leaving memory and mars of experience. He touched her unlined face. She demurred, and he saw she'd lost the innocence that children have, but softly shed by slow degrees as darkling night blends light with loss to fade the day. She'd kept her pure Pacific gaze and happiness for a life she liked. What he said to her, Wagner did not hear. He turned aside when she had followed him, when he apologized and, smiling, beckoned her. Wagner cursed, stewed and steamed on his bad luck that Faustus might be the first to fuck, a flower he'd taken so long to pluck. He wished that M to woo for him might teach him spells and hypnotic potions that with such ease, even if by deceits, might get any girl that he might please. Faustus had no lecherous desire for wanting Marguerite near to soothe him with her quiet presence, to sit beside him quiet and pleasant, that like a brook, small and plangent, skips through woods is barely heard. She spoke that softly with her words, and mostly did not speak but listened while he held the hands she gave to him, and he confided what he had seen. And sighing then, and inhaling, smelling her and disconcerted, smelling water and green grasses, he lapsed. Then this he confesses. He wanted happiness he had never found. Mephisto groaned, spying from the ceiling, 
where he hung upside down. What does this girl do to him? He blubbers. Oh, God. Remorse, regrets, remembrances. What good are these? Distilling life to vinegar. Don't sour what you can't give back. Give up. Meanwhile, at his stove, Wagner burned his hand. His pots boiled over. He kicked the dog twice. But he heard nothing at all where, at the door, he'd flattened his ear. So peeved his lewd fantasies and aggravated itchy anxieties, he forced the door to expose. What have we here? he shouts and finds Faustus face to face and Marguerite nowhere about. Faustus blinked, surprised, and said, Tell my students to come tonight and locate Mephistopheles. There's something I must set right. Shortly after, a visitor knocked. At his front door, the banker, the same who'd witnessed how Faustus had put horns on Archibald, intimating, so he thought, a shameful cuckoldry, whereat those laughing, ribaldly insinuating, enjoyed by Caroline, made this insult sting. The banker wheedled him and shared his complaint, pointed at Faustus to blame, publicly denouncing him for playing the devil's game, but the vicar, loving Faustus, reproved him for contumely, banished him persona non grata, and in a flea's bite excommunicat. Hence, tossed back to Mortenberg, he advanced angrily to avenge, came straight away demanding payment of something owing, something long ago and trifling, that both forgot discounting. Faustus forbore his ranting, nor unaware of nether motives, heard out his petty complaining, as students of his arriving, wondering, looked irked to see him badgered for sums that might be conjured, for potatoes might be pounds of bullion, and carrots sliced up to heaps of coins. But Faustus, dismissing the banker, said, Take this thing. He had no money to spare and could not repair the debt, and at the moment was destitute. 
but in amazement of his gopping students, and took up a lesson for their amusement. He sat, held out his leg, and offered his foot. Collateral, said he, to be kept assurance until such time that he may repay him properly. Here, Faustus insisted, here, take this, my leg. The banker meant to scoff, but he knocked it off when he tried to push the proffered leg away. Faustus' limb, like some lump of wood, fell, thumped, adorning it with hose and shoe, lay lifeless, like on the floor. Pick it up, good sir. Take it as you go, but do not doubt I want it back, and with my shoe. The banker, red-faced, furious and ashamed, went out the door to bare his leg like some leg of lamb or mutton, all wrapped in sack-like groceries, so none would know he took it home. This, he paused with it, stopped at the city river on a bridge, and leaning over, cursing him, watching sewage sludge beneath, God knows it will rot, then what? He cannot put it into his joint again. He tossed it into the septic wash. The river gulped without a splash. But later in that same day, Faustus sent a student to the banker to say that he should come back. And so the banker came, puffing, ischemic, behind the student briskly pacing. In his study, in his chair, a blanket laid hiding where his missing, now fishing, leg had been. The banker blanched to see. What have I done? Muttering privately. Here is your money, said Faustus, handing him a purse of coins he'd made. Where is it, sir? Where is my leg? Thank you.
The banker candidly admitted his mistake, and when the students began to shout at him, he left, dismayed, disgraced. He himself, astonished, told the tale to peers, to customers, to others that might give him ear. But when it was seen that Faustus still walked about, his leg as fit and not for fish some ripened provender, the townsfolk saw the banker had made a wicked slander. And bad enough the Pope would not give him sacrament. The whole of Württemberg might stand him in the stocks for pernicious lying and jealousy. He should be jailed, he wanted it, except that Faustus did not seek justice. Yet and still, the banker's business was therefore spoilt, for none should ever trust him or borrow his guilt. He'd be a hated Jew, a man without a country. The students loved their doctor, Faustus, not only for his ample feasts and drink, but for his lessons that were entertaining, such as this morality on money lending that I have told, the banker and the fish leg. Faustus also taught them classical literature, by art of colloquy, by resurrected characters, reliving incarnate scenery to speak their parts. Odysseus visited, crashed another desperate wreck on the rock of Faustus' desk. He had sailed thence himself to tell them all his time in hell, whereat his mother, dead, rose up again to nag at him, Faustus conjured up the Cyclops, just as he had been after having supped on Odysseus' men, having eaten them alive, their grisly flesh and guts stuck, strung nastily in his gnarly teeth. But the blinded monster spoke so pathetically of unjust loneliness, of sorry melancholy for no more crime than had been natural to him, that sloppy big buckets of tears splashed the floor, and everyone in sympathy for him had wept along. Boccaccio's mystery was stage, whereat the hero of Nastagio degli Onanista, whose spurned lover would be hunting her forever both as ghosts forever hounding her as she ran naked through the woods until she'd fall, and his sword repeating would murder her again and repeating his own suicide in ritualized eternity, like endless cycles of the chasing sun sought the fleeing flora before the wind possesses her. Or Abraham coming, to argue righteousness for his sacrifice of Isaac. But Faustus could not countenance 
that a loving father would, except he was insane, except he was a maddened zealot, would bind his son for holocaust to any god and kill him for that. He must be mad, or his god evil. But Abraham was simple. He spoke with sad acceptance. The voice that told the truth? What is my God, he explained, but what I cannot blame? Moses defended his commandments, the laws of inalterable punishment. Paul declared the covenant of love and faith in God become a man. St. Augustine posed original sin to Plato, who argued attention to a republic, the perfect city of mankind's more perfect kin. But while the students enthralled, presumably were well tutored, Faustus felt the apparitions deluded. For none of them that had appeared were real, their truth an atmosphere. Now, Christ himself he dared to call. For solemn conference in the night, they spoke alone. Mephisto did not know. He kept this necromancy quiet. With Christ, he argued and asked to understand the things he said, or said to have been said by him, such as the Sermon of the Mount. Why must the poor of spirit wait? Faustus could not see why God, if he were loving and in command, did not correct the wrongs of man. Why shall the kingdom not yet come? Not now, the hungry fed, then when? What earth shall any meek inherit except the ground they're buried in? Christ's replies were, like his written words, ambiguous and strange, intentionally obscure, insinuating veins of light in clots of darkness, shadows of meaning in clouds of unknowing, entangling our flesh with the mysteries of ghosts, as if Christ wanted him struggling to guess. What is the kingdom of heaven? What seed, what treasure, what leaven? Is it a place? Is it the state of grace? Which savior are you truly, son of God or son of man? Do you share my longings to know and see? Or to these ambitions are you my enemy? Do you share my despair? Or do not condescend me? Why do you stare? When no answer came from him, 
He recognizes the person that has appeared as just as painted as once he'd seen. And words were memories of disputatious lessons he'd slavishly retained. Mosaic of his mind, illusion of thought, puzzling mazy ways of previous thought, but not the truth. No truth. He was deceived. This was the art of Mephistopheles. <laughs>